0: Father, we come to you tonight asking that you would speak to us through your word. We want to hear from you. Lord, we desire to spend time with you. We desire to be in fellowship with you. And we know that you speak to us through your word. So please, God, do an amazing work tonight. Father, open our ears. Keep us focused. Gird up our minds. May hear your word. The exact word, the sweet manna from heaven that you desire to minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're not there already, turn to Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1, the third book of Moses, the third book of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is what? The first five books of the Bible, the Torah. This is the third book here. The word Leviticus, it means about or relating to the Levites. Leviticus, Levites, Leviticus. The word Levi is there within Leviticus. Levi, the tribe of Levi, this is where they come from. Aaron's sons, Aaron's descendants. But the word Leviticus, again, means about or relating to the Levites. The Levites are who? The priests. The priests who are going to be ministering where? In the tabernacle, in the temple in the future. I'll read and touch on that in just a moment. But the author of this book is who? Moses. Yes, Moses. We just said that. Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. This book, it was written about 1440 B.C. A long time ago. 1500 before before Christ. 1500 years. The outline of the book, the way this thing goes, is... It's kind of broken up into two sections, the book of Leviticus. You have the atonement for sin in the first part, how they're atoning for sin, what they're doing. This is chapters 1 through 16. Then you have their fellowship restored, right? Sin does what? Breaks fellowship with God, right? And then you have the fellowship restored, the second half of the book, chapters 17 through 27. The majority of this book, listen, deals with the laws concerning sacrifices, the priesthood, Sacred feasts and other various laws. There was one, uh, well, let me, let me give you a description of the Levites. There was one clan or family of the Levites who came from the family of Aaron that were set apart to be priests. And these are the Levites. These are the top guys. These are Aaron's sons. These are the guys who are working in the tabernacle. The rest of the Levites were assistants to the priests. Their duties consist of caring for the tabernacle and later in the future the temple. Also, they are to be. They're going to be teachers. You'll see, there'll be scribes. You'll see, there'll be musicians, officers, and judges. So, anyone serving in ministry was a Levite. Anyone serving in ministry in the Old Testament, Levite. So, those of you who are serving in ministry in this day and age, Levite. Yes, Levite. Sons of Zadok, Levites. It's interesting to note that the Levites were the only tribe, listen, were the only tribe who did not receive land when the Israelites conquered Canaan. Interesting. The Levites, the ministers, they're the only ones that did not receive land. They did receive a bunch of cities, but since they did not receive any land, they could not make any money. So how were they supported? Through the tithes, through the people's givings, through the offerings. This book is a book of holiness. We will see this word holiness used over 80 times in this book alone. Over 80 times the word holy. This is a book of holiness being set apart, being different. And without blood there is what? No forgiveness of sins or no remission of sins. There is no holiness without what? Blood being shed. This is why we will see the word blood over 88 times. Forgiveness is also something we will see a lot of this in this book. And so... That's exactly what this first chapter starts off with. I don't know if you read the devotional or if you read the chapter. If you did, bravo. You know what it's about? It is about the burnt offerings. Now, what is a burnt offering? It is the sacrifice that the people would bring into the Lord for sin. A burnt offering. How did this work? This is how it worked. Say you wanted to bring a cow or a bull, a cattle. It was your prized possession. It was your number one. It was your animal that you wanted to give to the Lord. It was the top dog in your in your flock. It had to be without any blemish, no blemish, not a spot on it. I think if you if you go over to Israel, I've been there, and uh, you go over there and you, you you you'll talk to the the guys there. Even they call themselves Levites, and they're preparing this red heifer. This is uh, the sacrifice that they want this this is the pure sacrifice, the red heifer it comes down to like three uh different colored hairs on its body that 's all it can have is three it has to be completely without blemish, It has to be pure. this red heifer, which is amazing, so that's what they would do. they would find the best in their flock it had to be without blemish, and they would bring it unto the lord interesting it's like the the first prize pig in your flock, like no, one one. First prize at the fair. I don't want to sacrifice him. No, it's gotta be the best. It's gotta be without blemish. It's gotta be number one. What would you do? This is what you do, right? If you were all right. If you were to sacrifice or bring an offering unto the Lord, this is what would happen. You would bring up your bull. Say you're bringing a bull. This also works for sheep and goats. But if you were to bring a bowl, you bring it up and you would put your hand on its head. Are you ready? Put your hand on its head. Put your hand out. Everybody, put your hand out. Put your hand on its head. You're putting your hand on its head. Okay? You're like this. Okay? (laughs) Raise that hand up. You're putting your hand on its head. And what is this signifying? That this animal is going to die because of what you have done. You were touching this animal, signifying that it will die because of what you have done. You put your hand down. You're putting your hand on its head. <laughs> hey, none of that. No putting your hand on each other's heads. <laughs> you put your hand up to signify that this thing is dying in your place. You understand? Did the animal do anything wrong? No. The, the first prize cow is being sacrificed because of what you have done. Can you imagine bringing your dog? Alright, bring out Spot. (laughs) Bring out Rufus. Herman. You put your hand on his head. Your first prize, your number one. And it will die because of what you have done. The next step... Is they slit its throat and the blood spills everywhere. The priests take the blood and they sprinkle it on the four corners of the altar. On the altar, an altar, the altar looks like a big it's a big box, and it's got a horn coming out of each corner of it. They sprinkle the blood on it, and then what did they do next? They cut up the bull. They cut it up. Cut it up? How do you do that? A bull? That's a long procedure. What did it take? 30 minutes? An hour? Two hours? What did you do? Take out the big saw and just start wailing? I mean, think about it. This is hard work. This is sick work. This is dirty work. But this is what happened. And they would cut it up. And they would, the man would have to take out the insides and guess what? I know this is disgusting but I want you to know. I want you to be able to picture this in your mind. They would take the insides and they would wash it. They would have to wash it in water. And then after that, they would have to take the legs, the legs, and wash it in water. I can't imagine doing this. You imagine your dog, right? The insides. And the legs, what? I mean, sitting there. Your prized possession. Like this thing could have brought us a lot of meat. This is a primo cow. And washing it in the water there. And then after... The insides and the legs are washed. They set everything on the altar in line. They they set wood down first, the priest do. Then they set the head, and then they set whatever's cut up, and all the way down, they set it back on exactly in the way it was put together in a a row. And then they burn it. They light it on fire. Now, what a bloody mess. I mean, can you imagine what your robe probably looked like after you are done? I mean, whatever you're wearing, you're probably just a mess. I mean, I have footage... I was in Israel. One of my buddies gave me footage on Yom Kippur. This is the Day of Atonement. It only happens once a year with Israel. The Day of Atonement where the the high priest goes in and makes a sacrifice for the entire nation of the people for their sins. Happens once a year. They can't do it now. Why? Does anybody know? Because they don't have a temple. Right? They don't have a temple so they can't sacrifice. So what are they trying to do? Because their sins aren't forgiven, you see. They don't have anything done. There's... The Jews are still applying to these rules right now. If they had a temple over there, they would be sacrificing just like we're speaking about right now. They would be doing that today in this age. But it's not happening because they don't have a temple. So, I was over there, and my friend showed me a video, 2006, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. They're taking chickens, and they're trying to sacrifice them so that they have something for their sins. Because they have no... Nothing to cover their sins. There's so much they believe in God. They believe in God, but they do not have forgiveness of sins. That's terrible. Not forgiven. And so what would they do? They would cut these chickens' throat and then turn them upside down and let the blood it's just it's disgusting. And they, everywhere. It's just nasty. Just watching this little thing. I can't imagine a bull. I'm mean, gonna it, snap. It's gonna be crazy. It would be done there with a goat or with a sheep or also you can bring a turtle dove or a pigeon, a young pigeon to the table. And what would happen with that real quick? They would wring its neck and it says it actually with the nail of a hand. ring its neck with a nail. And then they would pluck all the feathers off and they would rip the wings. Not all the way off. Just rip it. They would wring its neck, let the blood drain out, pluck the wings. I mean, pluck yeah, pluck all the feathers off, then rip the wings, and then they would put it on the altar and burn it. That's like, snap, God, that's brutal. What's the deal? Why are you making it so sick and disgusting? Well, you know the answer. It's because our sin is sick and disgusting. I hope that when you sin you would have to think about having to go to the altar again and sacrifice again. That you'd have to sacrifice continually. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? What if we had to do that today? Every time you mess up, you're going to some something's going to die for what you did every time. The second reason is because it illustrates what Jesus, our King, went through. A brutal beating. But guess what? Remember? In the devotion, I wrote this. Jesus was alive the entire time while it was happening. The bull was what? Throat slit? And he was dead. Focus. Throat slit? And the bull died. And then they cut him up. Same thing with the birds or any other animal, right? But Jesus, our King, how did it work? No, he was beaten and tortured and cut up and bloodied and had his neck run. It's all of the above before he died. He took all the punishment and beating before. And why? Because you did something wrong. Because I did something wrong. Amazing. We do something wrong, he gets punished. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, the mystery of the gospel. Oh, the mystery of the love of God. It's true. But these things were brought involuntary also. These people, you're not forced. It's like, oh, okay, fine, I'm bringing my first, I'm tired of doing it. No. It was because they wanted to. And so too with you and so too with me. We are to come to the Father, confessing before Him, agreeing with Him, and saying, Lord, I know that's wrong. That's messing me up. That sin is sick and disgusting. Maybe we need to sacrifice something within our own lives. Some time with Him. Every single time we mess up. Amen? Hey, in your mind, when you sin every single time, listen to me, I would encourage you to ask for forgiveness ASAP. Right on the... Every time. You think something wrong, you say something wrong, anything, everything, every little thing, you ask for forgiveness and you talk to God about it every single time. And watch. You will see... You will see, my friend, all of a sudden how much that you do sin. Number one, and you'll be grateful for what God has done for you. So many times, I, I think that we become stale to the cross. How many times do we need to crucify somebody? In front, if I stood somebody up here and crucified them, how many times before you get stale? How many times before you get bored? Uh, we're just here again another night. Crucify them. Oh, look at them be getting tortured. You know. Yeah. The the person here for the first time, I can't believe what's happening. Somebody stop him. Nah, he does that every night. That's just what we do. You know, we just... Is it boring? Is it old? Is it stale? God forbid. Sacrifice. I think if we had the blood on our hands every time like those men did in that day, what would happen? Our eyes would be open, wouldn't it? Maybe we need to realize the blood on our hands and come to the Father with that. The second thing, so see, I just blew through that entire chapter explaining what it is. But now Leviticus chapter 2 is what? That's the chapter we're supposed to be focusing on tonight. I'm just going to mow over it. It's basically speaking about a grain offering. Grain offering. If you have King James, it says the word meat there. Meat offering. But it is a grain offering unto the Lord. Now how does this grain offering work? Well, a couple different ways. Let me just explain them. okay? Grain offering. Grain offering. It would be you get, you get the finest flour you got, okay? And you put oil on it, and you put frankincense on it. And you bring it to the Lord. And the priest puts it on the altar, and he burns it. And this is a sweet-smelling to the Lord. Now, they would take a handful of it and put it on there, or it would be baked. That means they would bring a loaf of bread or something. With Remember, you just, you just take the flour and, and oil. If you... Those of you who don't cook, if you don't know, you, you put flour and water together, and that makes dough, okay? And and now you have something that you can cook. And so applying oil in there and this flour, fine flour at that, and then applying frankincense, you cook this, and you know you have some kind of loaf of bread or something. But it says also you would you would cook it like in a pan. So I don't know how that works. They say they actually use the word wafer. First time wafers ever mentioned We thought we had it down. Wafers. The Bible had it down a long time ago. Wafer. So they would cook it in this pan somehow. I, I can imagine it being this like flat, wa- not vanilla wafer, I know. I know you're... Th- no. Those are good. I can't think about that. Wafers. I think like a waffle wafer. But, then thirdly, they could fry it. Frying pan. King James says frying pan. It says it verse 7, I think. Yep, frying pan, verse 7. So, they would fry it up, and they would bring it to the Lord, and it would be cut up into pieces, and then they would throw oil and frankincense on it, and they would burn it and offer it to the Lord, okay? Also, there was a first fruit grain offering. I'm going to explain what these are, and then I'm going to explain why, okay? There's a first fruit grain offering, and this is when you took the corn, and you cut the corn on the cob off. You cut the kernels off. Then you roasted them. You poured, what, oil and frankincense on it once again, and you brought it, and they burnt it. Now, every single one of these offerings that were brought, the priests took just a bit of it and burnt it, and kept the rest for themselves. It's like, snap, man. It's not fair. Just took the food. No. It's because they had no other way of income, my friends. And let it be a quick lesson to me and to you. You should be tithing to the church to bless your pastor. What? Yeah, you heard me. Because he is taking care of you if you were being fed by him. I talked to a pastor right down the street who has a church. I won't mention which one. Actually, I will. No, I won't. I better not. But he said, he says, I owe Greg my house. And I would give it to him if I could, but I can't. They should pay him more money. Because he has helped more people than any man have ever seen. He's invested into more lives because of his faithfulness to God, which is amazing. But it's not that we pay money so that a man can be rich, but man, it's like, yeah, bless him, man, for what he's done. Long live the king for what he's done. Bless him. King David was filthy rich. Abraham was filthy The Lord blessed them abundantly. Solomon, the richest man to ever walk the face of the earth. That's my phone. It's going to turn off. But, we should be tithing, and you should not be bitter at any man who's done a work in your life. I hope that you would bless them. I hope that the, the people in this time wouldn't say to Levi, it's like, we're not bringing an offering, or hey, you're bringing the whole thing, don't you dare take any of that. It's like, God forbid. You know, you don't worry about where that's going, you be faithful to God. You are not faithful to the church, you were faithful to God. Did you hear me? With your giving? Remember we talked about that last week? You were not faithful to giving to a man. You're like, I'm not going to tithe to that church. Because they don't use the money right. Oh, oh. So you're tithe into a church now, huh? No, you were to tithe to God. You were to give your money to God. And you let him take care of the rest. You were storing up treasure in heaven, my friend, and if you are not giving, you are being disobedient unto God. And you will suffer loss for that. So I would encourage you, you give of that. You give offering. But what was this? What was this grain offering? I love this. I want to read a quick definition. It says, The grain offering was a voluntary act of worship, a recognition of God's provision and goodness, devotion to God. It was a voluntary act. I just love that, man. I wish we did things like this today. And maybe it's because our time has changed, but listen, I'm talking about we bake cakes for God. That's awesome. Put some time into it. Really do things for him. Like, look, guys, if you want to impress a girl, what do you do? Like, if you made a girl a card, that's you're gonna drop kick her, I'm serious. Like you do that stuff, okay? You you handcraft it, you make it, a little pop up in the middle, you know, with a couple sweet phrases, you're in. Brownie points for you for life, I'm telling you, take notes. But listen. If that's how we have relationship, if that's how relationships work here on this earth, why is it not the same with our King, with our God? Maybe that sounds weird. Go write a song for God. Draw a picture for God. Do whatever you do for Him. (laughs) Bake a cupcake and throw it off a cliff. I don't know. (laughs) Don't litter. (laughs) But you know, it's like, whatever you do, do it for Him. Or bake a cupcake and give it to someone. What are you good at? Start doing that for others and giving it away. I'm not going to give it to them. You're not giving it to them. You're giving it to God. You understand? We should be taking our gifts and investing it in people, investing it in our church. A grain off, a voluntary act. God, you've been so good to me. I'm giving you everything, straight up. I'm laying it down. That's what the grain offering was. It was voluntary. It was just like, it wasn't like, okay, everybody, children of Israel, announcement. It's time to bring grain offerings to God. No, it's, that's not what happened. It was just voluntary. You could just bring it anytime you want. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? And why did they do it? Because they were stoked on Jesus and what He had done for them. You see? And so, that's what these things are for. That's what chapter 1 and that's what chapter 2. Chapter 1, burnt offering, sacrifice for sins. Chapter 2, grain offering, it was just an offering unto the Lord. Hey, Lord, I just want to bless your socks off for being so good to me. Buy a smoothie for the king. I don't know. Spend some money on him. Hang out with him. Do, how do you bless God? Jay's gonna come. Jay, you want to come up and start getting ready? Jay's going to come up right now, but listen... I asked myself this question when I was in Mexico. I kept asking the Lord, Lord, how do I bless you? How do I bless you? I want to bless you. I want to. I just want to make you smile. I want to make you so stoked because you've been so good. You made me smile so many times. What can I do for you? What can what, dance before you? Can? I'll do anything. What can I do to make you proud and happy and blessed? And he keeps telling me, Josh, I'm already proud and happy and blessing you. Why? I haven't done anything good. It's because of what Jesus did for you. That's why. But I want to know specifics. I want to know what I can do for you. And I think this really leads into what we're going to talk about tonight. Jay's going to bring some things to the table, some awesome stuff. Stay focused. I'm going to listen to I know one thing that you and I can do, one of the greatest blessings you can give God. You want to know what it is? Is be a billboard for Him. Raise that flag in the air. This body, everything about me, everything that I do is Jesus stuff, man. Anything that I'm good at, I'm giving props to the King for it. It's like I'm going to use myself and my image and everything that I am, my, any bit of coolness, any bit of talent, any bit of anything I have in me, I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to let people know that everything that I am and all that I do is for Him. You see, that's what it's about. You can do that. I love when 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 the CEO of a company says, "I follow Jesus with all my heart, and I give everything to Him." And the only reason I have this business is because of Him. It's like, and no man can say anything, because like Sam, he's a millionaire. What are you going to say to that? The man could, who would put a big Jesus sticker on a Bentley nobody it's like that looks geeky man it's, I, I just oh that'd be sick wouldn't that be just tight it's just like you buy the most cranking car ever and you put like harvest bumper stickers all over it right? <laughs> you put like Jesus stickers all over it you know it's just like what is, why would he do that because it shows man all of this everything I have is for him it's for nothing else it's because what he's done for me I will live for him I will walk for him I will die for him you see, and if you have no motivation tonight, you want to know why? It's because you don't know what He's done for you. And you need to seek Him in prayer, my friends. I know it's difficult sometimes to be motivated. I know. It happens to me too. But Jay's going to talk a little bit about this tonight. And things that we can do. In living for the King and walking with Him. Jay, are we ready? I'm ready. There you go.
1: All righty here. I'm gonna try to stay close to this mic. I like to walk around a lot, but I'm, kinda, I'm gonna try. Yeah, but I have to have this. Uh, it's a little clicker in my hand, so yeah, I'll manage. Anyway, we're gonna c- kind of switch gears here a little bit. It's gonna definitely correlate um, with something that you can do for the Lord. We're gonna be talking tonight uh, a bit about the truth and a bit about. A bit about the cults. This is about, um, basically what is in opposition to the truth of biblical Christianity, um, what Satan has devised, what sort of plans he's come up with in, in order to distort God's truth, and where the Christian's role is in all of it. So, go ahead and pray with me, if you would, before we get into this. Father, we just want to come to you one more time, and, uh, pray that you would allow us to focus, God, and just to glean much from this, Lord, and, uh, That you would motivate us, Lord, to be representatives of the truth, God. That we would know thoroughly why we believe what we believe, God. That we would be ready to give an answer to every man that would ask us for the truth that is within us, God. So please just uh, gird our minds and allow us to focus in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you uh, brought your Bibles? Let's see them. Good. Good. You're going to need these. Because when you're dealing with a cultist, you absolutely must have a Bible. So I'm glad you brought them, because with the Bible, the average well-trained cultist can take a Christian like you and me and twist him into a doctrinal pretzel, twist them all up. I've seen it happen. It's happened to me tons of times. You can send a man through four years of college, three years of seminary, And a 90-day wonder from the Watchtower Society, the Jehovah's Witnesses, can come and twist him up so fast, so authoritatively, so swiftly, that it's going to take him days even to find out the answer. It's happened to me several times. They've come and just dazed me at my door. The Kingdom of the cults is what Walter Martin called it. Dr. Walter Martin referred to it as the Kingdom of the cults. It's not sandlot baseball. It's the big leagues. These are the big leads, and you not only have to know what you believe, but you have to know why you believe it. And this is essentially my task, and I'm sick of posting, I have to walk. This is my task, this is my calling from the Lord. Excuse me here for one second. But this is my task from the Lord, in talking to you about apologetics, so that you may know why you believe what you believe. And apologetics, what is apologetics? Many of you may be familiar with the term, some of you may not be familiar with it. Apologetics simply comes from the Greek word apologia, which means reasonable defense. A reasonable defense for the faith and the truth of God's word. Every Christian must be ready to have a reasonable defense for their faith. So I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles that you brought, if you will, to ground our study in God's Word in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, if you would. Matthew 7, verse 15. This is the words of Jesus. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits... Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice iniquity. Now the words of our Lord, I think it's tremendously important that we beware of what he called false prophets. And according to Jesus, there apparently is such a thing as a false prophet. And otherwise, Jesus would not have warned us. He would not have warned the church here in Matthew chapter 7. The context here in Matthew chapter 7 is obviously in the form of a warning. So he describes somewhat the nature of a false prophet here in Matthew chapter 7. What's the nature of a false prophet? A false prophet does not look like a false prophet. A false prophet does not act like a false prophet. And a false prophet does not sound like a false prophet. The false prophet, who can show up at your door, looks and acts and sounds like the genuine article. They look and they act and they sound like they're Christian. And Jesus used the perfect illustration from which we derive the common expression a wolf in sheep's clothing. They look like lambs, but underneath, spiritually speaking, they're ravenous wolves. Now when Christ said that a good tree cannot bear evil fruit fruit or bring forth evil fruit there are cultists and there are people who belong to non-christian religions they can lead moral and ethical lives Josh and I have met tons of them on the streets they even lead lives that put Christians to shame I've seen it Then the world comes along and they say look look at these people bearing good fruit they lead great lives. Well, they must be the good tree that Jesus was talking about. Because they're producing good fruit. But be careful, because we have to know what good fruit really is. Remember that it's perfectly possible on the surface to live an ethical and moral life. And at the same time, be at war with God. Be at enmity with God. And be contrary to God's teaching from His Word. And how do we know? How do we know the difference? Because we have ample evidence of it all over the world. Like I said before, Josh and I have met some of the finest people who are atheists, agnostics, skeptics, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Buddhists, zoroastrians all sorts of different followers of Islam even. Multiple forms of religion. And I can say without any doubt that these people appear... To be leading moral and ethical lives, even something that would represent the Christian ideal. Some of the most hospitable people we met in the Middle East were Muslims. They were nice to us. They were more hospitable than a, hospitable than a lot of the Jews were. They were very nice people. So they appear to be living sound morals and sound ethics in their lives, and yet all of these people share one thing in common. One thing in common. They all deny that Jesus Christ is God, or that Jesus is God's way of saving lost souls. That's what they all have in common. So you see, the life on the surface may be acceptable, but it's the doctrine or the teaching that's corrupt. Remember, you you judge not a tree just by the kind of fruit of the life that's lived. You judge a tree by the kind of doctrine that's taught that's the difference. That's the kind of fruit that Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 7. Not somebody who appears to be leading a moral or ethical life per se, although that's a part of it, but it's the doctrine that they teach is what they're saying correlating with God's word. And if you put the two together, you're going to find an interesting answer. You're going to see whether or not they're really a Christian and whether or not they're really the good, the good tree that Jesus was talking about here in Matthew chapter 7. Now Jesus said something else of great importance he said that false prophets would call him Lord verse 21 and indeed false prophets do call him Lord many of these Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and all sorts of other different religions refer to Jesus as Lord but the key is that the term Lord the meaning has been changed and let me uh, let me illustrate what I mean in the uh in the second Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gave us some interesting words. He gave us some interesting insight. He said that "I'm afraid for you, for you Christians at the Church of Corinth, because if someone comes to you and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached and preaches another spirit and another gospel, you might fall for it. You might go along with it. Those are interesting words that Paul decided to use. He said, another Jesus. He said, another spirit. Another gospel. So what did Paul reveal to us here? That there is such thing as a counterfeit Christ. Okay, there is such thing as a counterfeit Holy Spirit and counterfeit gospels. Like we said before, they look, they act, and they sound like the genuine article. They act like they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they're not. And we're commanded by Scripture to What? to test all things and hold fast to what is good test everything and hold fast to the truth hold fast to what is good our test is not an attack on the cults remember it's the cults who have attacked the church the church has not attacked the cults it's Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Christian scientists and Unitarians and Spiritists and all the above who have attacked Christian theology we have not attacked them it's a responsibility of the church to go and to give them an answer and to test what they're saying. It's revealed in Scripture in First Peter three fifteen. Be always ready to give to everyone that asks of you a reason for the hope that lies within you. Be always ready to give it. A reasonable defense. Apologetics. Apologia. But many people get confused and they ask, Well, what are you what's a cult? What Describes a cult? What are the characteristics of a cult? And some people even get offended at the word as if it's some sort of dirty word. And it's not. It's not a dirty word, it's a simple word. It's derived from the Latin cultos. And it simply refers to a group of individuals. And it's important that we use the term because we want to decipher between what is the church, what is Christianity, and what is not. So whatever is not Christianity, we must classify as a cult. For you note-takers, you might want to copy down what the meaning of a cult is, so you're not confused in the future. A cult is a group of people gathered around somebody's interpretation of the Bible. A cult is a group of people gathered around somebody's interpretation of the Bible, and it always claims to be in some way sympathetic, we're in harmony with Christianity, but it ends up having one common trait. They all have the common trait. Every non-Christian cultic system denies that Jesus Christ is God in human form. That is the main characteristic of a cult. They all deny Jesus Christ's deity. And there isn't one of these cults that will fail this test. Not one. They all pass it with flying colors. And how do they do it? How do they pass this test every single time? Well, let's look at the Jesus of the cults for a second. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that there is, in fact, another Jesus. So what does he look like? What's this other Jesus look like? Let's see. The Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses is really Michael the Archangel, the first and greatest creation of Jehovah God, who came to earth and lived as a man and died and rose as a spirit creature, who came back invisibly in 1914 when the millennium began and established his headquarters in Brooklyn. That's the Jesus of the Watchtower Society. The Jesus of the Mormons is one god in a pantheon of gods, a whole bunch of gods. Big daddy god out there somewhere. He's a created being, and he's the brother of Lucifer, who fell and later became Satan the devil. And all male Mormons are striving to become gods themselves. That's the Jesus of Mormonism. The Jesus of the Spiritists is an advanced medium in this and the sixth spirit of the astral projection, whatever the heck that means, for those of you who don't know what a medium is, it's in spiritism, a medium is a good spirit that uh, that you communicate with that connects you to the to the other good spirits, and to, essentially to God, and the bad spirits are the ones who connect you to, uh, to demons and demonic things and to Satan. But Jesus isn't God, he's just a good spirit out there somewhere. I mean, the sixth spirit of the astral projection. And the Jesus of the Christian scientists is just a divine idea. You know, a great idea a good moral teacher but he's not god come on guys the jesus of the unitarian similarly just an extraordinarily good man perhaps even a prophet maybe but come on he's not god his mistaken followers just deified him they made a mistake but the bottom line is this that the jesus of the cults is not the jesus of the bible the jesus of the cults is not the jesus of the bible Because the Jesus of the Bible said, if you believe not that I am He, or in other words, if you believe not that I am the eternal God, you will die in your sins. For where I am going, you cannot come. And this is what separates Christianity from the cults. One theological term separates Christianity from the cults. And that is Christology. The person, the nature, and the work of Jesus Christ. The key ultimate test whether or not something is Christian. If you are corrupt in your doctrine of God, the person, the nature, and work of Jesus Christ, Christology, it doesn't matter where else you're right. You cannot be Christian. You are not Christian. And this, the most singularly important question in dealing with the cults is this. What do you think of Christ? Who is Jesus? That's the question. Forget about arguing with the Jehovah's Witnesses about hell. Forget about arguing with the Spiritists about Phenomenon, extrasensory perception, and all the other jibber-jabber that follows. Forget about arguing with the Christian scientists about the existence of matter, or are we even really here at all? Forget about arguing with them about that. Forget about arguing with the Unitarians about the historicity of the Gospels and the Dead Sea Scrolls. Just get down to the only important question that there is. Who really is Jesus Christ? Who is He to you? For if He truly is the eternal God, as He claimed, guess what happens to the kingdom of the cults? It disintegrates. Its whole infrastructure collapses because they all deny that Jesus Christ is God in human form. And if that's true, well, everything else they say logically follows. It destroys itself. Get down to the important questions. Now, I'm reminded many times in studying the cults that the church the body of Christ has a great great responsibility we have a great responsibility it's a good thing when we study the cults we get stirred up inside because it motivates us to know why we believe what we believe and to have an answer for these people because these people are genuinely deceived it's not as if they're out here preaching something that they know they're deceiving people with they're (gasps) genuinely deceived themselves and we must combat deception with truth you guys 170 years ago, 170 years ago in this country, there wasn't a thousand cultists. There wasn't a thousand people that were actively in cults. And today there's an estimated 20 to 25 million people actively involved in cults. 20 to 25 million from not even a thousand 170 years ago. That's alarming. And that's not even counting the rest of the world, you guys. That's just the United States. Think about the rest of the world. And they're growing in our mission field right now at an alarming rate. They're growing more and more and more and more. And the combined missionary force of the Protestant Church, the Orthodox, even the Catholic Churches is less than 100,000 full and part-time workers.
0: Sorry, I can't concentrate on that. Focus with
1: me. As I was saying, the Protestant and Orthodox and Catholic churches, together, it's less than 100,000 full and part-time workers out in the mission field right now. The Watchtower Society, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses, have over 370,000 full and part-time workers right now. And that number is growing rapidly. Even with the, 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 the Latter-day Saints, they go and each one of their, uh, each one of their members the day they turn 18 has the opportunity to go on a mission it's really a requirement so all the Mormon youth are going on missions they're all out there in the field while we have under 100,000 with the combined missionary forces of the Protestant, the Orthodox and the Catholic churches all together the printing presses of the Watchtower Society where they print their magazines they turn out more literature in more languages in six months than the combined presses of the entire Christian world do in one year. Every Christian pr- printing press combined doesn't even match what the Watchtower, one, one organization does in six months. What's happening here? So in effect, they outwork us, they outgive us per person in time and money, and at the present moment they're in our mission fields out evangelizing serving us a dish you guys and they're they're doing it for a lie it's all for a lie and how much more should we do for the truth Walter Martin said one of the leading authorities on the cults he said in quote if we were to say that the church of Jesus Christ is discharging faithfully her obligation in the kingdom of the cults it would be one of the greatest falsehoods ever uttered we're not doing our jobs And we can no longer just put our heads in the sand and hope that the cults go away like a bad dream because they're not going anywhere. The more we ignore them, the larger they grow. I've encountered people, other Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, who feel that if we simply just preach the gospel and do nothing else, they're bound to leave us alone. If we just preach the gospel, hey man, just go out there and and preach the gospel. But don't be fooled. Because over 80%, this is alarming, over 80% of cultists are made up of former Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans, Presbyterians, and the people who sat in the pews of Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches. And they're now in these cults. As the Apostle John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. They were never really committed to Jesus in the first place. But they did come from these Bible-believing, Bible-teaching Churches. So, why is the kingdom of occults growing? Because the churches of America and the world are not presenting Jesus Christ's gospel with a compelling relevancy. We're not doing our job. We're just not communicating the gospel accurately a lot of times. And the kingdom of occults really grows because of our apathy and our lack of concern to do anything about it. Peter tells us in 2 Peter, chapter 2, he says that there shall be false prophets among you, even as there were in the days of Moses. He said, don't be disturbed by their presence. It's just proof of what God has said, that we're living in the last days. And there's many questions that we can ask regarding the rise of the cults. Like, how do we explain this? Where in the world did they come from? How did they raise from under a 1,000 members of cults collectively to over... 25 million in only 170 years. How does something like that happen? Well, 80% of them came from us. We already know that, so that's a good place to start. They came from the churches where the gospel was not preached or we didn't do our jobs. And the second question is, why do they succeed? Why do they grow? We know where they came from, but why are they succeeding? Why are they growing so rapidly? And the answer is found in our Bibles... We don't often look there. But it's in 1 John chapter 4 that we find the answer. If you want to turn there with me, you can. 1 John chapter 4. Beginning in verse 5, John tells us, They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Interesting words from the Apostle John. There is such thing, according to John, as a spirit of truth. And there is such thing as the spirit of error. The spirit of error and the spirit of truth. Mormons cannot be right. Christian scientists cannot be right, Unitarians cannot be right, Jehovah's Witnesses cannot be right, and at the same time, the church be right. Somebody has to be wrong, and seriously wrong. And we had better be prepared very quickly to demonstrate the reasons that we have for our faith. The church, the church has been deluded for a long time that all we have to do to discharge our obligations as Christians, is to go out into the world and to go tell people that Jesus loves them. Just go tell them that Jesus loves them. Once we've done that, we've accomplished our task. But this isn't what we find in the Bible. This is not New Testament theology. If you read through the New Testament, you'll find an amazing fact that almost half of it is an apologetic document. The men who were speaking were speaking in defense of the faith. They were giving reasons for their belief in Jesus Christ. They weren't just telling people that God loves them. And even when the Lord Jesus was qu- was questioned by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and the people who were constantly trying to entrap him, he didn't just say to him, "Hey man, it's okay. God loves you, bro. Everything's gonna be okay. All right. Just, I I don't know what in the world I believe, but uh, but I know that I know God loves you. That's all I know. So just love one another." And then he went and. Preached the seeker-sensitive sermon on the mount. Okay, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus was love-personified, wasn't he, guys? But what did Jesus say to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees? He told them the truth. Love-personified said, You liars. You children of the devil. You den of vipers. That's what Jesus, he called them out. And Jesus took the time to answer their questions. He spent the time to rebuke and to reprove what they said. Because what were they doing? They were distorting the truth of God's word. And likewise, we need to do this, you guys. Amen? We need to be ready to give an answer to these people. We need to follow the example of the apostles and the prophets in the Bible and of the Lord Jesus himself. We need to have an answer ready for these guys. So let's get into the Word of God. Let's study. Let's know why we believe what we believe. Let's do this for the Lord. Let's give a, a reasonable defense for our faith. And one, one way we can do that, I'm going to end with an illustration. I'm going to try not to butcher it because I've only heard it a couple times. There was a, uh, a bank, and the general manager of the bank, every year he took his employees down to Washington, D.C. for a, uh, for a class about counterfeit money and he wanted to teach all of his bank tellers and his employees at the bank about counterfeit money so they wouldn't be deceived by counterfeit money in the actual bank so they went through this course and basically all the course was is a full on week of these bank tellers handling real new money, handling the money getting so well acquainted with it that way if a counterfeit bill ever came their way, they would know it right off the bat. They would know that it was a fake because they were so acquainted and so familiar with the original that they could spot a fake in two seconds. So that's our task, is to be so well acquainted with the truth, to be so well acquainted with God's Word that the moment somebody comes distorting it with a counterfeit gospel, a counterfeit Jesus, a counterfeit spirit, we would know it right off the bat that we would know our Bibles so well that we'd be able to give an answer. We'd be ready. So, please, I encourage you as you go home. I know this is kind of intense, but if you go home, just get into the Word and get with the Lord and ask Him to teach you and really know why you believe what you believe. Know why you're a Christian, you guys. Because we do have the truth. And these people are doing so much for a lie. How much more should we do for the truth, you guys? How much more should we do for the truth? Amen? Amen.
0: Amen. Let's give a round of applause for J.L. Huh? Yeah. Love that. You know, I thank you guys for being attentive and being focused. <laughs> um I love this. I was thinking about, like, what kind of benefits can we gain from going long and, and, and uh, listening to long messages? It stretches your mind. It stretches your attention span over 30 minutes of TV program, okay? And uh, Or even church, even 40 minutes every single week on the dot and you're out. It's like, back in the day, remember Paul? Preached, like, all night, then some kid fell out of the window, broke his neck. And they brought him up there. Paul was like, bring him back up here. Paul healed him, rose him from the dead, and then kept speaking. Um, and it was like, they don't mess around. You see, but we, we cannot retain much information because of TV. Because we don't read. You see, watching TV does not help you, my friend. Or staring at the computer, I'm telling you, you're entertained by something. It's difficult now. to listen to me too. Me too. I sit here and I'm like, I can feel my mind wander and I have to catch myself and come back in. Start tuning in again. But I, I appreciate it that you're stretching your mind you're staying focused. And so when you feel your mind starting to d- daze, look as an opportunity to grab on and to stretch your mind. But I love the things that Jay has said and gosh may it be an encouragement to you. I am sick and tired of seeing weak little Christians get slapped around. Okay? No more. We rose up an army right here. I just watched 300. If you've seen that movie, it's like... <laughs> ah! <laughs> you know, I just like, I don't want to get crazy. like so I mean, But I was thinking about that just in the ways of Christ. Like just being ripped for the king, you know? It's like any man comes up against... I got more moves, you know what to do. Oh! Oh! You know, it's like you're on it. I mean, he can't even phase you. Because you know what you believe and why you believe it. When you have the truth, what man... What man can bring anything at Jokes? I mean, you're going to get slapped in the face every time. I mean, I love when somebody starts calling me out in my faith. Like, oh, a little Christian boy, you're going to go to church on this night. Yeah, it's better than going to a party and get faded, beating my kids one day. You know, all of a sudden, he's like, man, yeah, he just got worked. The wages of sin is death. I've been down that lifestyle. It's whack. And now I have life. Life in that abundantly. And you got any questions, man? The Bible's true, and this is why. There is a God, and this is why. Why is Christianity the right way? This is why. And then you bring the gospel. You just smother them with love and watch them drop to their knees and accept Christ. You see? Army. Marines, Navy, Air Force. Where do you see them, man? 300. Stand up. Start studying. Study to show themselves approved unto God. A workman? That needs not to what? Be ashamed. Are you ashamed because you don't know? Open your mind. Study. Talk to Jay. Ask questions. We need to know these things and why we believe it. Can you imagine if just this group right here? There's quite a few of us here tonight. Can you imagine just this this group right here? We knew why. You know what damage we could do? Be sick. We'd be an army unstoppable, that's for sure. So let's ask the Father to raise us up from within. Let's ask the Father to purge our hearts, to prick us, to open our minds. You need to ask for yourself, okay? Can you do that? I'm going to ask for us as a group, but I'm going to ask for Josh Thompson, okay? You need to ask for yourself. That God works in you what needs to be instilled, Okay? Father, we come to you tonight and we say thank you, gosh, that you've raised up guys like Jay who just know their stuff that can teach us. And we praise you, God, that we have found truth, Lord, that you have allowed us to find you, that you have found us to find the right way, the absolute right way in this life, the greatest way, the most pleasurable way, the most wonderful, fun, exciting way, the right way, most importantly. That we are not losers and we will never be losers because. We are on the winning team. It's such a great thing to know, Jesus. And it's not because of us, because we found you. Yeah, right. It's because you found us. It's because you reached down and grabbed us, King. You got our attention, and you saved us in this wicked life. And so, God, I just I pray for myself that you would help me def- to defend, Lord. I will pull up my sword and fight for you. I will defend this faith that you've given us. I will give an answer to every single man that comes my way. I will be the man that you've called me to be and the best way I know how. Help me. I can't do this on my own. I fail so much. Help me to be able to give an answer and to study and to know why I believe what I believe. And I pray for these. That you would help them, Lord. Raise up these right here in this group, every single one. To be a soldier that lives for you and fights for you. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Lord, I just want to say to you with my mouth that I will go wherever you want me to go. I will speak to whoever you want me to speak. Will you guys say that? Will you guys say that phrase? Just say, I will go. You just tell the Lord, I will go. If you want to say that to Him tonight, that you'll go, just say that, I will go. Say, I will speak. I will testify. I will make a stand for you. I will deliver truth for you. Father, that's what we desire. Help us. Give us that wisdom. Give us everything we need. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Love you guys.